Hi everybody, welcome to Undressing the Issue. I am Julia, this is my podcast. Happy New Year, welcome back from the holidays and all the mandatory family fun. I wanted to start out 2020 by talking about sex, obviously. What else would I talk about? But let's get into the difference between good sex, bad sex. Is there such a thing as bad sex? What makes good sex good? This is such a huge question and there's so many layers to it, but I'm going to try to tackle it a little bit. So, (coughs) excuse me, I'm getting over a a nasty cold. So, um, I am a certified sex addiction therapist and not sure if you know what these are. They're called CSATs for short. But CSATs have a bad rap for not being sex positive, that CSATs are said to consider anything that's not vanilla sex uh, to be unhealthy, addictive, um, pathological, so on and so forth. That they're not inclusive or positive about things like kink or any types of alternative forms of sexual expression. And I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. So I am a CSAT. Yes, I am also finishing up my PhD in clinical sexology, meaning sex therapy. The two are very different. Sex therapists tend to be more sex positive. They're educators versus sex addiction therapists, which really treat addiction and pathology. So you could see where there's this positivity versus unhealthiness and negativity. And I think in the past, a lot of CSATs have been really quick to shame and slap a diagnosis, possibly a heavy one like addiction, on certain behaviors that may be outside of what they consider to be quote unquote normal or healthy or what is considered to be controversial based on their beliefs and where they're coming from. So I do think it's important for therapists to be really clear about their own uh, social location. Like what angle are you coming from in this? So for example, I come from the angle of a cis female, bisexual, I'm married to a man, yes, but I am cisgendered and I also, well, I was born in the Soviet Union, which as we probably are all aware of from the news and whatever else, is not a very accepting culture. It's not very gay friendly. It's not very um, racially diverse. It's pretty conservative. It's pretty closeted. Yes, that's where I was born. And for a lot of people, they hear that and they go, oh, <laughs> that's not, that's not cool. She's not going to be understanding. She's not going to be accepting. And the reality is I was born there, but I left at a young age and I was raised and educated in the U.S. So as far as my location, that's where I'm at. Um, now, as far as sex positivity, when we say CSATs are not sex positive, What does that mean? Well, 
Um, my interpretation of that is that they are not open to concepts like kink, like being inclusive of all different shapes and forms of relationships and gender identity and sexual expression that their uh, system or their uh, template from which they work of what they consider normal is cisgendered men, women in a heterosexual relationship having vaginal intercourse missionary style. <laughs> that is what is quote unquote normal. So I think that this day and age, there are many more sex addiction therapists who are educating themselves and starting to broaden their horizons and really embrace the concept of different strokes for different folks. To me, sex positivity is inclusiveness. It's acceptance. It's open-mindedness. It's understanding that different people have different ways of going about this that are influenced by their experiences, by their identities, by their upbringings, by their belief systems. And that is all okay. I'm a firm believer that it is not my job <clears throat> as a clinician to judge anybody's practices, behaviors, uh, any of their preferences, any of their identities. It's not up to me to decide whether that is good or bad. If it works for the person and if that is where they feel comfortable and that feels authentic to them, then it's all good. Great. Great. I'm all about it. I'll be your biggest fan. I think sex positivity also is a willingness to explore new horizons. It's a, it's a way to look at things that may differ from oneself without judgment and just objectively seeing it as it's something that fits for this person. And that's okay. Again, no such thing as normal, which is why I always say, quote unquote, around the world, word normal. So where does the line get drawn between sex positivity and then what gets treated by CSATs as sexual addiction? Well, this is kind of where we're starting to tiptoe into what is bad sex? What is unhealthy sex? So sex addiction therapists follow the classic model of diagnosing addiction. And in this model, what we look for are several primary traits or features of a behavior. So the first one is if the behavior, whatever that is, has caused negative consequences. So it's really easy to see negative consequences when you're talking about a chemical addiction, drugs or alcohol. You see overdoses, you see job losses, you see financial losses, you see um, health issues, problems to the body, to the liver with alcohol, with IV drug users, you see all sorts of issues like infections and abscesses and transmission of diseases like hepatitis C. So 
it's much more concrete versus with a sex addiction where you have some similar stuff, negative consequences like sexually transmitted diseases, um, potential job loss or loss of relationships. Um, but there's also other stuff, the emotional piece of it, which I guess is also present with chemical addictions now that I'm thinking about it. Um, the depression that comes with it, the anxiety, the, um, the paranoia at times, the hypervigilance, am I going to get caught? Is this, am I risking getting in trouble? That kind of stuff. Um, there are negative consequences like uh, financial losses. I can't tell you how many people with sex addictions I've worked with who have essentially depleted their bank accounts uh, because of their sexual addictions, whether it's because they're um, soliciting prostitutes or they are going to certain places to try to uh, find a date or get laid and maybe these places aren't the safest they're kind of seedy back alley kind of places and so they could get robbed they could get assaulted um, those are negative consequences there's uh, other health issues like self-injury um, I have seen people who have addictions to pornography and masturbation who have masturbated compulsively to the point of self-injury to where they then require medical attention. Yes, this is a thing. And I don't know if you've ever masturbated too much, but I would imagine that at some point you're going to rub yourself raw and that's going to be painful. So yes, there are negative consequences, but it's not just the negative consequences. It's the continued engagement in this behavior despite these negative consequences that's when you're starting to see some of that compulsivity the if I wanted to stop I couldn't stop it's something that I continuously do even if I don't want to and even if I want to curb this behavior that's that uh, I don't want to call it obsessiveness but definitely compulsion it's compulsive it's you know, it's almost like you're on autopilot and you can't control whether you're going to do this or not. Um, trying to stop but being unable to is definitely one of those one of those features that we look for where if someone's saying, so I guess this is the clearest way to explain the difference between sex positivity and then uh, issues, problematic sex, is if someone comes into my office and says, look, I really, really like to um, blow up balloons and rub them on myself and I really like to have a partner urinate on me and occasionally I like to engage in some fisting and maybe some fecal play and I like to watch uh, gay pornography through this entire experience and this is a huge turn on for me and my partner likes to do it with me and we enjoy ourselves and it's not a problem and we've never gotten hurt and everything is a-okay, and we communicate through this, and it feels safe, great. Have at it. Have a ball. Have a couple. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. But if someone comes in my office and reads me that list and says, this is what I like to do, and I have gotten sick because of this, I have been assaulted, I have 
been I've lost jobs because of this behavior because I leave work to go do this or I will engage in this to the point where I can't make it to work the next day I'm too tired and then you know my boss writes me up and I really want to slow down on this but I can't and it gets to this level and then I feel really ashamed and terrible about myself I feel disgusted I want to stop I can't stop you know, I'm doing it more and more frequently as the time goes on and I don't know what to do, that's when we're starting to tread into problematic territory. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who has this issue, who comes in and says, I'm trying to stop, but I can't stop, is necessarily suffering from an addiction per se, but it definitely sounds compulsive. It definitely sounds like suffering. They're not coming in saying, I'm perfectly content with this. It's a-okay. They're saying, I am suffering and I can't break myself out of it. I want help with this. So there's that helplessness. But the other piece that I touched on is it's getting more and more frequent. That increase in intensity is another feature that we look for. So... It's kind of the same as when an alcoholic develops a tolerance where it used to be a couple of drinks that would give him a nice buzz and now it needs to be a couple of bottles or a handle of some type of hard liquor to get to that same place. Those couple drinks just don't cut it anymore. It's a drop in the bucket. It's the same kind of thing with sexual behaviors. And it's not to say that everybody who has some sort of sexual compulsivity is going to experience an intensification. Not necessarily. And I know I've read somewhere on the internet or one of my clients brought it to my attention where some forum basically said that somebody who starts watching pornography, who becomes compulsive with it, that porn addiction is like a gateway to pedophilia. This is so far from accurate, first of all. Um, it's fear-mongering and it is inaccurate information. You are being sold a faulty bill of goods. So please don't pay attention to that wherever that forum is. Please take it down. It's damaging. Um, so there's something that needs to be said for pornography addiction. People can intensify the frequency of their pornography viewing, um, the content, the type of pornography that they view. Yes, that can increase and intensify. Absolutely. It can start out with, you know, some straight softcore porn and eventually get into things like bondage and hardcore or uh, gang bangs or where there's um, force being used or I mean you also have to remember pornography is there's production these are adult film actors this is not real if it is real then you're probably looking at something that is illegal like snuff films or child pornography those are illegal in my state at least I live in California so it can intensify, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to intensify to real life encounters or to changes in one's actual behaviors sexually. It could just intensify within that, within that interest. So, you know, maybe we watched porn for a half an hour 
twice a week and then it got to the point where it was an hour and a half a day seven days a week and maybe from there it got to three or four hours a day and it wouldn't just be in one sitting it would be any free moment we're looking at pornographic videos and images on our phone in our restroom breaks in on our lunch breaks in our cars whatever else so the content of the pornography may be pretty pretty similar to what you've always watched but you're also definitely seeing an increase in the engagement with this so it's not always what you kind of read about and think of in, as intensification it doesn't necessarily have to go from I watched porn for half an hour twice a week and it was pretty vanilla straight softcore porn and all of a sudden I'm out trying to force myself on someone and be violent in terms of raping someone or sexually assaulting them. One does not necessarily lead to the other. So let's not get this misconstrued. Let's not assume that someone with a sex addiction is necessarily on their way to becoming a uh, danger to others or criminal or um, violent in some way. That is not the case. I really want to be clear about that. So when I say increasing intensity, I want to be clear about what I mean. It doesn't necessarily mean that the behavior evolves. In some cases, I've seen it evolve where it starts out with pornography and then it goes into, let's say, random sex, one night stands, maybe soliciting prostitutes, something along those lines. But one, the presence of one of those behaviors does not necessarily mean that it's definitely going to lead to something else. That's not the case. But this is really those three big things is the negative consequences, the continued use despite these consequences and continued use despite efforts to stop and the increase in intensity, those are some of the features that raise red flags for CSATs. That's when we go, hmm, is this an addiction? Do we need to dig a little deeper? And just so you know, this isn't a guessing game. We do have actual tools, tests that we can give, well, assessments that we can give to our clients to really get a more concrete look at where they are on this spectrum. Are they in addiction territory or is it something something else, more of a compulsivity, more of something else? Because it can be all sorts of other things. So I want to kind of clarify that line of whatever it is that you're into, it's all good. And it's not for me to judge. It's when whatever that thing is starts causing you distress when you're starting to worry, when you're suffering as a result of it, when you can't disengage, when it's it's literally starting to cause suffering, that's when I become concerned. But what it is, whatever the behavior is, I'm not here to judge that. I'm here to basically work with people around, how did it get to this point? What was it that appealed to you about this behavior in the first place? How did we get there? And what's really going on underneath? Like, why are we engaging in this behavior? Which leads me to kind of the next question in the difference between good and bad sex. So, 
Okay. Let me start by explaining this. Any addiction, well, really not even addiction, any behavior, any human behavior has a purpose. We have these big overdeveloped brains as human beings, as homo sapiens. We are capable of really complex cognitive functions. We're capable of emotions, of self-awareness, all of this stuff. So obviously that comes with its own complexities. This is why we then can become depressed or really anxious or obsessive compulsive or we can experience trauma and hold on to that trauma. So this is what I want to start off by saying is that every behavior has a purpose. There's a reason why we do what we do. There's a reason why you need to check and double check that you locked your front door when you leave several times. It's fear-based. There's something in you that's scared that if you didn't, something's gonna, something bad's going to happen. You're going to suffer <clears throat> or you're going to be in harm's way. There's a reason why we like to put our right shoe on before we put our left shoe on. It's, it, there's, there's purpose behind every single behavior. And when you start looking at sexual behaviors, those purposes are pretty complex. So this leads me to the subject of what is the purpose of sex? Why do people have sex? I know why I have sex and I know that for me it's not always for the same reason. It's not, you know, to share a loving, bonding, tender moment every single time. That's not it. Sometimes it's that and that's lovely, but sometimes it's something else. So I've done this exercise several times and I find it fascinating. I do it with all different types of groups of people where I literally ask them, to just throw out all different reasons for why people have sex. And some of the answers are pretty predictable. You, I get a lot of the, you know, bonding, making love, connecting with your partner, uh, intimacy. I also obviously get the answers that are around enjoyment uh, it feels good. It's pleasurable. Um, orgasm. Hello. Great reason to have sex. Then there's other ones where sex starts um, serving as a tool of some sort. So some people have said, well, it's good exercise or it's a stress reliever for me. It's a sleep aid. It helps me fall asleep. And then you get into other reasons like power, power, control conquest. I feel like I've conquered something when someone has <clears throat> granted me access to their bodies. And it feels like an achievement, an accomplishment. It's, it's an ego boost or control. Um, I hear this a lot from my betrayed partners where after they find out about their betrayal, they actually want to have sex more than they did before. And it's almost like a way for them to try to keep their partner satisfied so that they don't wander and betray them again. If they're getting it at home, then they're not going to have any need to search for it elsewhere. It's, it's a way to control. But it's coming from this hurt place. 
So that oftentimes leads to its own emotional side effects and consequences. But some people also have sex for money. That's another reason. Um, And sometimes it's not in this direct way. It's not, you know, being an adult film actor or being an escort or, you know, working in the sex industry in some way. Sometimes it's, well, um, I'm looking for a sugar daddy. I want somebody to pay my bills. I want somebody to help me with my tuition. Um, I would like a free meal tonight. Um, I'm living paycheck to paycheck and money's tight and it would be really great to have a steak. So I'd put out for that, right? There's all different reasons. So money is one as well. And as far as work, not even just in the sex industry, but even sleeping with someone to get ahead, to get that promotion or to get a raise or to kind of uh, climb up the ladder, so to speak, right? I mean, we've heard it being said how many actors or actresses or big celebrities have been rumored to have slept their way to the top, right? (laughs) Whatever that means. Um, It's something that gets tossed around. And that is a reason why people have sex at times. Sometimes sex is an expression of emotion. Sometimes people have sex out of anger. They have angry sex. Yes, this happens. My hope is that you have a safe word in those instances, but yes, it happens. Another big reason that comes out quite frequently when I do this in groups is trauma reenactment, which is fascinating. I want to reenact something traumatic that happened to me, but I'm choosing to do so. So I'm in control this time. And because it's on my terms, I get to take my power back. Or so it seems. Sometimes it works out that way. Sometimes it ends up feeling worse in the end. And it truly is a reenactment of their trauma. And then that comes with its own set of issues. But why people have sex is going to play a role in how they experience the sex. Meaning, is it good? Is it bad? Is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Some people also, now we're talking about individual differences, but some people can have sex for money or to advance career-wise and feel totally fine with that and it doesn't bother them in the least. However, the next person can walk away feeling kind of used, feeling exploited, feeling um, like they violated their own values, like they... Uh, sold out in some way and it can lead to its own distress and upset so that's where the good the bad comes in and when people start noticing patterns not only in the reasons why they choose to have sex but also in how they're left feeling before during and after that's when we start looking at what's really going on here is this just a fun kink for you to explore, a new way of expressing yourself? Are we, you know, developing our identity and getting clear on who we are? Or is this something that's a little more deeply seated that maybe needs to be kind of sussed out and processed a little bit so that we could get to the bottom of it? Because after all, as you've heard me say probably a zillion times, and I will keep saying it, sex is never about 
sex. It's never just that. It's so much more because it's such a vulnerable activity. You're showing people parts of your body that you might be self-conscious about. You are also trying to provide somebody else with pleasure and there's the risk of it not working (laughs) and then you feeling inadequate or like you failed or whatever else or rejected or maybe you'll never see them again because they were so disappointed by your performance. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Or maybe your performance was so wonderful that they never leave you alone. What do you do then? But There's a lot to think about in engaging with someone on this level and what's going to happen in terms of emotions. If you're committed, where does that bring you? Has there been some type of history in this relationship that's difficult? Does having sex with that person bring up that history or does it help put it away? Is that why we're having sex? Helps us overlook the things that aren't going well. So It's these patterns that I think are important and that I really, I really encourage my clients and even my friends, you know, friends get together, talk about sex, at least my friends do. It's something that I encourage is pay attention. What are you doing again that you told yourself you didn't want to do? Or what are you not doing that you promised yourself you would do? What is this feeling familiar to? When did you feel this way before? What do you think you're repeating? Where does this come from? What's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. I don't actually say that. But <laughs> but these are things to think about. These are questions that are worthwhile to ponder and reflect on and figure out what is it that you do and what of those things work for you. Oh, Siri. Siri decided to chime in. Um, what of those things that you do or don't do work for you versus don't work for you? What do you want to do away with? Do you find yourself having a hard time doing away with certain things? So this is all for you to think about, to ponder, and feel free to reach out and uh, give me the gory details of everything you've pondered if you feel comfortable doing so. But feel free to give me feedback. So I hope that in this little spiel of mine, I've been able to kind of clarify what my view is of good sex or healthy sex versus bad sex or unhealthy sex. So I hope that what you took away is that it's not, it's less about the sex and it's more about what's behind the sex. What's the purpose? What's the emotion? What's the motivating factor? All right. Well, Take care. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.